So that theme for this week is something that uh, I think some of our Canadian listeners are definitely going to clue into. Uh, if you were alive in 2010 or paying attention in 2010, that's the uh, CTV theme for the uh, 2010 Olympic Games in Vancouver. Um, if It just really kind of drives home what we're going to talk about today, of course, because we're definitely going to be in 2010. The book uh, featured this week is about one of the Canadian team's players on that 2010 team, its leader, as a matter of fact, and um, just what that meant for her and her team uh, going and playing in those games. Uh, and so I think you're going to be really happy with it. But that's a proper introduction, so I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Got a little nostalgia, as we usually do with our theme songs here for, for on the show. But greetings, salutations, and other good vibes to you. Happy Sunday. Uh, it's great to be back for another episode this week, and it's been a pretty good week in hockey land. And, of course, there's no shortage of drama. I mean, for goodness sakes, the, the Flames have a new coach who's really not a new coach when you think about it. Uh, the Wild uh, made Zach Parisi a healthy scratch for the first time in his career. Uh, and then uh, Austin Matthews hit the 20-goal mark. That's pretty cool. So uh, lots of stuff going on. And uh, in case you missed it, thinking about our uh, celebration of women's hockey this month for Women's History Month, the NWHL is going to start back up and finish the Sobel Cup up at the end of the month. Uh, taking over for what they had lost uh, out on having to withdraw from their bubble that they had up in Lake Placid. Uh, but they'll finally get that uh, at the end of the month, and we're going to get to see it on TV, which is all going to be great. So, But the news I enjoyed the most this week, and I think a lot of my listeners in the States did as well, is uh, ESPN is going to have Hockey Night again next year. So starting up next season, ESPN's got broadcast rights to the NHL. Wow, the inner 90s child of me is just amazingly uh, stoked. It's so awesome. I mean, you can cue the National Hockey Night theme right now. Uh, and as you guys know, if you've listened to the, the show before, I've used that as, as definitely uh, one of my callbacks to the 90s for sure. So I'm excited about it. Uh, let's just hope that they bring back some of the old staples too. If they had NHL tonight with Grass and Barry Melrose and, well, if they could rip Chicken Parm, Ray Ferraro away from TSN, that'd be great too. But uh, one can hope. Uh, one thing I did see that was interesting, though, is that Gary Thorne is interested in starting to do play-by-play uh, -play again, which would be super awesome. I always thought he was pretty great uh, when he did the ESPN play-by-play -play in the 90s. But... Uh, alas, as I usually mention when I get off on my beginnings, that uh, that's not why you're here. You're here to talk about hockey books. I'm here to talk about hockey books. So let's get to it. Um, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, this is From the Point. I'm Danny Lambert. I'm your host. Uh, and as I just mentioned before, we're going to take a book from the world of hockey this week, as we always do every week on the show, give it a little bit of an examination, and just di dive down deep into it uh, and figure out what the good parts are and get some discussion out of it. Uh, and if you've been listening this month, you know we're going over stories of women pioneers in hockey to celebrate uh, Women's History Month. And this week, of course, is going to be no exception. Uh, we're definitely going to be highlighting one of the uh, best players ever to strap on skates in the women's game for sure. Just to recap a little bit, last week we focused on perhaps one of the most influential teams of women uh, who ever played the game, and that was the 1998 women's Olympic team. 
they won the first gold medal in the sport. On the other side of that U.S. women's team, though, was in 1998, was their main rival, the Canadians, the Canadian women's team at that time. Going into the Nagano Olympics, the rivalry was strong. I mean, you if you were there, you, you remember it. Uh, if you read up on it, it's definitely something that permeates in any pages that you read up about it, is that rivalry between the U.S. and Canada. It still exists today, of course. And there was no love lost between those two teams. As a matter of fact, Canada was heavily favored going into that Olympics and had won all four of the world championships in women's ice hockey that were played up to that point. So it was a reasonable expectation to think that the Canadians were the hands-on favorite and would win in Nagano. But alas, they, the Canadians lost and the Americans won. But that Canadian team uh, that played in 98 didn't really let that get them down too much. As a matter of fact, they used it for fuel in, uh, in the book that I'm going to go over today. And the person that we're highlighting, uh, she really calls that out as a moment that solidified the Canadians' resolve and helped them dominate the sport of women's ice hockey for the next couple of years after that, for sure. Uh, they dominated so much that they won five of eight world championships and uh, two of two Olympic gold medals going into the 2010 Vancouver Olympic Games. And in Vancouver, the host Canadians looked like they were set to continue their dominance and bring home the gold again. And that's where I want to pick up uh, to start today's book is in 2010 with the 2010 Vancouver Games. The captain of Team Canada for those games was a player who was long, basically was there for the entirety of the uh, journey of women's hockey uh, in Canada uh, almost completely. Uh, she remembers losing in Nagano and then uh, how it contributed to the dominance that followed. This person was also considered to be not just one of the best women's players in hockey, but one of the best players of her period, for sure, male or female. And that's Haley Wickenheiser of Shavon, Saskatchewan. She had been a staple of not only Can the Canadian game to that point, but the women's game as a whole. She had become the first woman who was not a goaltender to play full-time professional hockey in 2003 over in Finland. Uh, and we'll talk more about that later. But she was definitely a recognizable face and a celebrity in the world of hockey, and especially in Canada, when the games of 2010 rolled along. Her story is a very good one, and it's really important to the lore of hockey. I mean, I say that a lot, but this one really is. Uh, but, you know, as we are usually lucky, uh, she decided to write it down um, as her story is chronicled in the book that was going to be featured this week, Gold Medal Diary Inside the World's Greatest Sport Event by Haley Wickenheiser. It's really her diary leading up to and during the Olympic Games, and it's pretty awesome. So, uh, Granted, this is just a snapshot specifically centered around the buildup and the playing of the games, but she certainly puts a lot of different thoughts and visits her background and kind of her life. So you really get a firsthand account of what uh, her life is like and what it's what it takes to be one of the best players in the sport for sure so strap in get ready our discussion on Haley's book starts with the warm-up that's going to come up to you after this the country's all-time leading scorer in the women's game now Haley Wickenheiser four Olympic golds and Maybe seven world championships Haley Wickenheiser has been a fixture in Canadian hockey yesterday she announced she'd be hanging up her skates after 23 years with the national team. It's a funny, funny feeling. You kind of, uh, in some ways, you feel like you're planning your own funeral, but in the other ways, you feel like you're graduating onto a whole nother 
life when you've spent, I guess, 33 years that I've spent playing the game and uh, in the game. So um, it's been the greatest honor of my life to play for Canada. On the ice, it's clear Wickenheiser has made her mark. She's earned 379 career points for Canada. She's also competed with men's teams playing more than 60 games in Europe. She's also been front and centre to watch the sport grow. When she first suited up for the national team at 15, less than 20,000 female hockey players were registered in Canada. Now there's about 87,000. She helped little girls in this country and all over the world uh, realize that no, it's not just your brothers who are playing hockey, you can play hockey as well. And she kind of changed even the way people talked about hockey. Little Jenny was no longer playing girls hockey. She was playing hockey. It became regular. It wasn't taboo. It wasn't weird to hear about a girl playing hockey. So that was a good summary of just what Haley's career was like and uh, kind of some stats and things that really punctuate how great she was. I don't think you really need to know all the stats just to know how great she is. And especially if you live in Canada, she's definitely an omnipresent force in the game and, and in popular media and sports. But uh, I think why I really... Uh, wanted to start with that was it, it just sets the stage for you she was operating at a high level for over 20 years getting into the game when she was 15 and not retiring uh, till she was about 39 years old and that's just crazy to me so but uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that later just how those stats measure up and where she is in, in the pantheon of history but you can already tell that hey we're talking about somebody great here for sure but getting to the warm-up, uh, last week we took a look, like I said, at the 1998 U.S. women's team who had won the first Olympic gold medals that were handed out for uh, women's ice hockey. As you probably remember from the discussion of have and have heard or remember living it, the Canadians women's team was every bit as good or probably even a little bit better than the U.S. team that they lost to. And that team, like the Americans, had a ton of great players, all who had roads, uh, that were pretty tough just simply to play hockey and to get into that moment where they could play for an Olympic gold medal. One of the most talented of that group of Canadian women was 19-year-old Haley Wickenheiser. She scored eight points in six games at Olympics in 1998 and was one of Team Canada's highest scorers. 1998 was when the world was introduced and would probably never forget Haley as she became the face of Canadian women's hockey for the next 16 years. When people mention the best players uh, to put on a Team Canada sweater, you'll hear names like Gretzky and Lemieux and Wickenheiser. And Haley was something else, has something else in common with the Great One and Super Mario. She's also a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame, inducted in 2019. So it's pretty much not a stretch to say that Haley is one of the most successful women ever to play international hockey. Probably one of the best, most successful players ever. And if you needed more proof of Haley's uh, great play, the list of points scored by a woman player in international play over a career is Haley at the top by a mile with 51 points. The closest competitor only has 32. Also, just search YouTube for clips of Haley, and you're just going to find her everywhere. There's plenty. She does Canada proud on and off the ice, and they love to uh, highlight her uh, north of the border. And I just think it's really special when you look at it. But when you look at this book, I just want to start off by saying that it, it may only be a snapshot in time of her career, but you'll glean way more, as I said before. But it's just 
awesome. Uh, it's very succinct. It's a diary. It is written as a diary, so you'll hit all the big points and all the big thoughts. But at the same time, you're not going to belabor any points, really. Um, but looking to the lead-up, what it takes to get to the Olympics, what it takes to compete in the Olympics, uh, there's no shortage of that in this book. And there's no shortage of Haley's thoughts on that and her different thoughts on different subjects within the game. Uh, and just the dynamics and what it took to get there. Uh, one thing I think it's lacking a little bit is maybe some of the, the smaller stories, but I, I think from her youth, but I think she does go enough into it uh, that you can gather enough. Uh, I would recommend still you do a little bit of research. We'll talk more about that later, of course. So, um, But I just think it's, it's a really easy read, and like many other stories that are just sort of snapshotted uh, with small bits, you'll find yourself digesting the small bits and getting through it rather quickly. Um, but most of all, it's it's fairly uncensored. There's a lot of good thoughts in there um, about what Haley thinks about the game and the things that are going on uh, and the different competitors as well. Um, and, you know, if you're a Canadian, you have to read this book. She's just super excited about all the things that happened in Vancouver all the competitors for Team Canada and just how special that Olympics was for the entire country. So uh, in that regard, you'll definitely enjoy it. But most of all, you'll enjoy hearing about Haley's story. And I would recommend, obviously, uh, that you take a minute to read about that. And we'll go over that again. And, and I'll reiterate my thoughts again at, in the post game. So, But for now, um, I just want to start off and get into the periods and talk about the first period. Uh, and take it from the top, really, and introduce you to why Haley grew up to be the superstar that we saw in Vancouver, what that took, and just sort of um, the road that she had to do to get there. Because uh, like last week when we talked about the U.S. women, Haley's road is really important to the understanding of women's hockey, where it is and where it needs to go. So that's up next in the first period. This is uh, the cover of McLean's magazine, Canada Day 2003. People who make a difference, and you are the poster person. Mm -hmm. There's no question uh, you have become the face of female hockey, but you were just a hockey player as a child. Mm -hmm. And it's all I ever really have wanted in my career. I believe that a hockey player is a hockey player, whether you're male or female. And fortunately for me, I had some amazing people in Shaunavan, my dad, uh, our neighbor, Jerry Mitchell, Kenny Billington, all these types of people who didn't see me as a girl playing hockey, but really as just another body that filled the team, and, and it was pretty normal. Uh, and then as I grew and came to the national team, there was, you know, France Saint-Louis and Stacey Wilson and Angela James, those, those players of that era, and Shirley Cameron, Judy Didick, and they really brought me along and taught me how to win and what was expected to be a professional. And I think I was very, very lucky to be around that group of women when I started. Um, which has sort of guided my career to this day. So that clip is uh, from Haley herself. You can hear in the interview, and of course you probably know the other person on the other end. That's Ron McLean. Uh, it's a good interview, and I, I recommend that you watch the rest of it. But what I wanted to get to right there was uh, just in that moment, uh, Ron McLean is explaining to her you know, how, what she means to the country, uh, what she means to the women's game, and, and the fact that he pretty much unequivocally states that she is the face of women's hockey. And there's no denying that, um, especially at the time, and this was uh, taped uh, during her retirement, uh, and that's just kind of cool. It's uh, it's awesome. It, it just shows uh, what she did, and what I really like to hear is her story about how the support that she got in Shanavan 
really at the beginning is what makes her get into uh, and grow into the player that she became. And that's a common theme, a common theme. The support that players get at a young age uh, is important, especially the female players. As you continue to read their stories and research them, you'll find that. But jumping right into the first period, uh, like I said, we're taking it back. We're, we're kind of looking at where Haley came from and what that means for the uh, to her story. And they mentioned it in the interview. She started playing for the national team when she's 15 years old. It's crazy. Uh, as you'll hear later, there's a clip uh, of her introdu- introduction into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Um, that in her speech, she talks about being 15 years old and having to room with one of the older players on the team. Uh, she said <laughs> she was a, her uh, roommate was a grade 10 math teacher and she was a grade 10 math student. That's just crazy. She's a kid. Uh, and she just, uh, you know, started very early uh, in was winning with Team Canada. She was there from the beginning. I mean, I think if I looked at it right, there was only about two world championships from the beginning of the Women's World Championships for the IIF that she did not participate in. That's crazy. And then, of course, she worked her way into the first Olympic team uh, for Team Canada, and that was in uh, in 2008 in Nagano, or excuse me, 1998 in Nagano, and she was only 19 years old, so... Wow, crazy. But it wouldn't end there. I mean, after that, she she won two more gold uh, game gold medals uh, in the Olympic Games at Salt Lake and Torino, uh, and then seven world championships overall. So uh, lots going on between Nagano and Vancouver. Uh, and I, I, I don't want to gloss over the beginning because there's a lot of history being made by Haley there. But uh, to get to the book and centered around what the book talks about, uh, you can see where... Haley has transitioned from being a young player, uh, someone who is, you know, just kind of a part of the team to the leader of the team. Because when we pick it up in 2010, she's the captain of Team Canada. Um, And the build up to uh, the games are important. So what she starts talking about is how they train uh, and what they need to do. But uh, looking at how she even got there for the most part, let's just kind of, once again, explain what her background is um, before I get too far ahead of myself. You'll, As I've said before, many players have many common themes, uh, and you'll see this amongst a lot of the women players. They struggle to find their ways at the beginning because really the hockey programs for early kids, at least uh, not so much now, and especially in Haley's day though, uh, were for boys. Uh, and Haley describes having to play with boys until she was 13. She didn't get to play a dedicated women's league until then. And uh, when her family moved to Calgary, uh, it was another issue uh, that kind of helped, another factor that helped, uh, you know, get her out of the game of just playing with boys and into the game with girls. Both of her parents were physical education teachers, really into, you know, sports and stuff, and helped just support her. And you heard in that last interview just what what that means. Uh, If you ever listen to her Hall of Fame induction speech, obviously you'll know that her parents were very important to the encouragement that she received to get there. Um, But like I said, dropping it back and just kind of, you know, how, what, 
what she took. It was a long road to get there. There's a story that uh, she's going to tell later on. I don't want to continue to keep getting ahead of myself, but I just think it's germane to the discussion now that she had to go to a hockey camp in Regina and sleep in the closet because they had no room for her. But she did it. Uh, and she just was willing to do what it took. Even if it was playing with the boys, she did what it took. And you'll see... Uh, later on here in the period we're going to talk about she continued to do that not not just as a child um but taking it back you know she went to the 99 98 nagano games they lost and then after that um team canada just went on a tear they dominated the sport in the mid 90s um and they used that 1998 loss as motivation uh and you'll see in the book that haley still remembers that and mentions it so it was obviously a big thing and a big motivator. Uh, and so when you pick up with the team in 2010, there were still plenty of players to include Haley from that 98 team. And they were ready to go and uh, once again continue to show their dominance. And I think that was really the height of uh, Canadian women's dominance was in 2010. So um, also worth mentioning kind of in that in-between time in 98 and 2010, Haley did something else that was kind of, tremendous and just shows her muscles an athlete she competed in the summer games in 2000 in sydney on the canadian uh, national softball team and uh, you probably be like okay great she played on the softball team but she didn't just play she played great like everything else she does and uh, she uh, was able to get the highest batting average on the team for the olympic tournament that's no small feat of course even though team canada may not have done well Haley wickenheiser did pretty well but um, like we said, there was a big revenge factor fueling her attitude uh, to, you know, and when we pick up with their training, um, you know, it, it just shows that she's got a lot of fire. She's ready to go. Um, also, in the in-between time, one of the other bigger things to mention uh, before we get to 2010 is just how she tested her metal in probably one of the hardest stages for a woman, and that was in men's professional hockey. Um, she was in Finland for two seasons and then Sweden. So she scored 11 points in 33 games in Finland in 02-03 and 03-04, and then uh, three points in 21 games in Sweden in 08-09. Uh, so it's no small thing, and we talked about it. She's the first woman ever to play professional hockey in a men's league on a consistent basis who wasn't a goaltender. That's kind of crazy. And you can see she didn't do too bad either. Um, granted, she had to go to Europe to do it, but she did it. And um, it's something that nobody else has been able to repeat. Hopefully they will be, but not not, not yet. So it's coming off that experience in 09 playing professional hockey that we find uh, Haley is starting to fully get into her training for the goal of that uh, making because she doesn't take it for granted in the book, and you, you'll realize that, making that Olympic team uh, for Vancouver and then uh, succeeding, of course, and went, taking home the gold on home soil. Uh, and that's really where the book starts uh, and what we'll get into mostly in the next period. I know we've been a lot of background here, but uh, we'll really dig into the book and her diary here uh, coming up because we've had to go through this background, I think, so you understand a little bit more about just how genius the uh, 2010 games for for Wickenheiser. So we'll go into the preparation and what the games were like in 2010 for Haley uh, coming up here in the second period right after this.
I was there in Vancouver 2010 when Canada won gold in both men's and women's hockey. But also when Canada won its first medal of the Olympics, Alex Bilodeau in freestyle skiing and being in the athletes' village on the top floor with men's hockey players, speed skaters, other athletes, and celebrating as a group when he won, and then walking out onto the balcony and looking over False Creek and listening and hearing all of Vancouver celebrate and thinking that was what the rest of Canada was doing. To win gold in Vancouver uh, on home ice is something that not many athletes get a chance to do, and to be a part of that team, have a great victory like we did, a dominating performance, and then be able to celebrate it with our friends and family and the rest of Canada was something very special. Canada has now won three straight gold medals. Yeah, there was lots of celebration that went on after the game. Obviously, we all know about the cigars and uh, champagne on the ice, and it was something that uh, you know our team shared a lot of memories and laughs uh, about at that time. And the rest of Canada, I think, really appreciated just the amount of hard work that went into winning a gold medal and then appreciated the women celebrating afterwards. I'm Haley Wickenheiser, and I was there. That's Haley describing what the win in 2010 meant for her uh, and really kind of for the country of Canada as an overall whole. And I really enjoyed hearing that because it really gives you a sense of just how important it was to win those 2010 games for her and the rest of the country, really. Uh, if you didn't clue into it, she doesn't start by saying that she's – remembers being there for the win of just the women's team but the win of the women's and men's team in hockey and you can see really important to all all the canadians out there and i know all my canadian viewers are like yeah it was it was crazy as a u.s uh, as an american uh, as a u.s fan i can definitely say yeah it was heartbreaking but gosh those were great games both of them and uh, i think that's what comes through and you definitely read about that in the book for sure it that haley uh, it's not lost on Haley how important it was to win not only uh, just her event, uh, the men's event, but all the events for all the Canadians there on home soil. Uh, very proud Canadian, and it's very cool to read. So if you do dive into the book, um, what you'll find is that her first entry, because like I said, it is a diary. Uh, it picks up on August 9th of 2009 in the big training lead up that they have and you find Haley is living in Calgary and training with the rest of the national team there um, and doing what they need to do to sort of get ready and start the preliminary things uh, the roster is a little bit over the 20 that they need so they're uh, looking to uh, trim down and you hear about a first couple initial rounds of cuts right there at the beginning uh, and then kind of just what their training schedule is after that um, she's the captain and so she's contemplating how to take her role seriously how to lead uh, what she needs to do to motivate her team what she needs to do to be a good leader uh, and just how what struck me is just how seriously she took it and uh, just trying to find that right balance which I think she really did uh, because it, their success speaks for itself but um, it definitely comes through that Haley was a great captain and, and, a, and a serious leader for that team. Uh, but there's a bunch of different mechanisms that they're using to help train to get to those Olympics um, that she focuses in on. One is the uh, about six uh, exhibition games that they play on both uh, U.S. and Canadian soil against the U.S. national team as sort of tune-ups. 
um, and those are really hotly contested even though uh, at the time it can be said that Canada was pretty much dominating the US although as you'll see there'll be a couple moments where Haley actually understands that look the US team is not somebody to sleep on and, and they really use those as uh, great motivation and great uh, training events also she talks about going and doing the four nations cup uh, for those of you who aren't familiar the four nations cup is canada u.s finland and sweden playing a tournament uh, that they do in women's hockey just uh, once again this year is in 2009 as a tune-up for the 2010 games very important to play uh, against teams that they knew that they were going to be playing in the olympics um but uh, one of the ones she talks about being a real grind is their the team is actually going across the uh, many places in Canada, all over the country really, to play midget AAA teams um, who they found really have about the same style and same level uh, of play. Uh, and she talks about those being tough games. And believe it or not, they don't win all of them. They win a lot of them, but they don't live all of them. Um, and then... I guess what's really important when you look at the training is just how tiring of a schedule it was. And I, her words really explain that to you and you sort of get that. But uh, it's it seems like it's a grind, as it should be, really. But it, it is. Um, and you hear about her getting, you know, sick. She had pneumonia at one point, threw out her back also uh, pretty well. And just having to deal with those injuries and sicknesses just crazy especially when you're trying to stay at such a high level um, but here's the part where I hope everybody really clues into and this is very germane to the uh, women's perspective on the game is while she's doing all this she's a mother she's got her son uh, who's 10 years old at the time Noah and she explains a lot about what she's trying to do to keep up with uh, being a good mother, keeping, you know, doing things like doing laundry, keeping a good house, uh, picking them up from school uh, while she's training for the Olympics as the captain of the national team. Um, that's just crazy. And I think that once again, you have to really clue into that to understand her perspective and, and what and understand other women's perspective who plays who play the game it's really 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 important and she definitely goes over that and what the challenges are with that um also <laughs> what i really enjoyed too is you know just kind of her talking about uh the different phases of how everything went and one of those was uh going to the final training camp that they did up in the rockies and how that was important to kind of put her mind right and and the team still was able to continue to play and practice um, and then another shared event that was uh, from last week's book uh, that they talked about in last week's book in break in crashing the net. Uh, they talk about the U.S. team getting to Nagano and getting outfitted with all this crazy gear and stuff. Uh, same thing, same thing. Haley talks about that. Checking into the Olympic Village and just what it was like to live there. Um, so that's another really cool part of the book. If you ever wondered what it's like to be an Olympic athlete, uh, definitely definitely pay attention to this one uh, and then one of the things for me and I've always understood that Haley's a very big figure in Canada and an important uh, national hero uh, was she was asked to do the uh, player's oath at the opening ceremonies <laughs> that's just crazy not everybody gets to do that much less you just select a hockey player from all those all those great and sterling candidates that you could have 
Uh, and if you're not familiar with the player's oath, basically it's just like, hey, uh, she explains it in the book, but it's basically just like, hey, we're going to play. I represent the athletes, and we're going to play fair, and we're going to play by the rules. So kind of cool, great moment for her, uh, and she describes it as, once again, uh, another very proud Canadian moment for her. But uh, looking at the games and how they went for Team Canada, um, I'm just going to say this right now and preface it. They steamrolled the competition, just rolled over everybody. The preliminary round scores, you when you read them in the book and you have to actually kind of look them up because you don't believe it. But when you see it on uh, stats and different places, you, different stats pages in different places, you're like, wow, okay. So just to summarize, in the preliminary round, Team Canada won 18-0 over Slovakia in their first game. In the next game against Switzerland, they were 10-1. In the game after that, they were 13-1 over Sweden. And in that game during Sweden, uh, as a side note, Haley became the all-time women's leader in Olympic goals. Crazy. It, it, it wasn't even close. They weren't just beating the competition. They were smoking them. And it, it, it's crazy to think. So um, they got to the gold medal round uh, pretty easily, but uh, they knew it still wasn't going to be an easy test because who did they face in the gold medal round but the U.S., their, uh, their main arch rival. And it really is kind of crazy because, um, you know, they, they you'll see the setup for that game is the game right before with Finland. And you think, okay, Finland's going to give them a tough test. No, Finland didn't give them a tough test. They beat Finland 5 to nothing, um, in to start the medal round. And then we get to the gold medal game, and that expected showdown with the Americans, wow, it was crazy. So the score, if you look at it, you'll be tempted to think, okay, it was a close game, 2 to nothing. So um, now nah, it really wasn't much of a close game. Uh, and she describes it in the book. Basically, they got out to a quick lead and held on to it, and the Americans could not mount anything to come back. So that's how it was. The tournament was, for lack of a better term, in 2010, easy for Team Canada and Haley Wickenheiser. But she describes it all along in typical Haley Wickenheiser fashion as not being as easy as it seems. Maybe that's being a bit humble, in my opinion, but uh, also at the same time just being respectful to the competition. Uh, so really cool, really cool. Um, but she talks a lot about what happens afterwards, too. I guess there was some hoopla about the celebration on the ice with cigars and champagne, you know. Uh, and she just kind of makes sure that everybody knows that, that was not a big deal. And, of course, that was something that the boys would do. So why is it a big deal if the women do it? I don't know. Um, and one thing that I found really cool about the book is so Haley describes having to constant about well, I should start with saying about her time after the after winning the gold medal. Haley describes her time training for the games as being like crazy. She's got to eat, you know, healthy to the nines and, and just not being able to let much go. Um, but she talks about eating a bunch of cheeseburgers and fries at the McDonald's in the Olympic Village afterwards and just sort of really getting to relax and, and, and let go and drinking beers at the hockey tent and everything. So. I thought that was kind of cool. Just goes to show you, you know, big reward, big reward. The reward's there for sure. Um, and one thing that's from that time too, that part of the book that was interesting to me is she kept getting asked if she was going to retire because it looked like that that was on top. But 
she didn't and she explains in the book that there was just no way she was not ready and she was not gonna um and to really put a you know sort of period on the whole thing she wore a uh, see you in sochi uh, jersey during the closing ceremonies just to let everybody know she'd be in sochi and everyone as they did they mar you know as everyone as they did they they sort of marched on after that with Haley in tow and uh, life after vancouver was definitely um something that was important to the story of Haley wickenheiser and uh, we're going to talk about that when we get into the third period which is up next how close are you may 4th <laughs> to the day <laughs> that is six-time olympian Haley wickenheiser who won four olympic gold medals for canada's women's hockey team she's talking about how close she is to finishing her schooling to become a doctor I'm about a month away. We have a little month break because we have interviews for our residency positions, but one month of actual rotations uh, surgery left for me and I'm done. It's been interesting being in medicine, finishing medicine in a pandemic. I never thought I would be in this position. While going to school to become a doctor, Haley led the push early on in Canada to help get frontline workers PPE supplies during the pandemic. Well, that first part of the, the pandemic with the Conquer COVID-19 and the PPE drive was insanity. It was very, very busy for those few months. Um, but it gave me a purpose because everything in my life, like everything in everyone else's life, kind of stopped. Wickenheiser continues to raise funds and supplies for frontline workers. Now, during all of this, she's also the mother of a 20-year-old and the Hockey Hall of Fame inductee is also the assistant director of player development for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't know. It's just something that uh, has worked well. I, my job with the Leafs, I've been able to commute between the three years of med school between Calgary and Toronto, working with them more virtually here in the last year, just given the pandemic. And then the other things that I've I've done seem to just to just fit. So uh, I guess no minutes wasted. I don't spend a lot of time uh, idle. So I think I'd be bored otherwise. <laughs> so got to keep busy. Haley's a role model for so many people for a laundry list of reasons. And for young, inspiring female hockey players, Haley didn't just dominate the field, she broke many barriers. And for more than a decade, she's hosted Wickfest, which is a festival to encourage and support young women in sports. Well, you know, we had done Wickfest live for 12 years in person. And over those 12 years, we worked with 30,000 kids. So, you know, just experiencing the joy that Wickfest brings and knowing with the pandemic, how many of our young kids in particular were having a tough time, especially with no minor hockey in most parts of this country. So we put together the virtual Wickfest. Last fall, she held the festival virtually because of the pandemic and is hosting another virtual Wickfest this weekend. So the whole concept of Wickfest is just to develop um, athletes or, and, and good people and then hockey players second, really. I just finished a six week pediatric rotation in medicine where I saw a ton of teens struggling with mental health. And um, so I think just to bring some sense of normalcy, some connection to these kids and they have a chance to get on. And um, I know at the end of the last Wick Fest, everybody had to show their animal and at the end <laughs> just went on and on and on. And so we have a lot of fun with it. We're learning too, but in this new Zoom world, everybody's making the best of it. This weekend, they will be opening the festival to everyone, no matter how you identify or your age. You can find out more information at wickfest.com. Lindsay Dunn, City News. That's a recent interview that Haley did uh, via Zoom, much like we have seen during the pandemic. But what I really think is cool about that interview is it gives you a big uh, sort of insight into what Haley's been doing since 2019, especially when she retired, uh, just what her life has been like since then. And as you can tell, she's going to medical school. She's going to be a doctor. I think that's 
awesome. Uh, just shows you her resolve and what she what she does and what she wants for her life. But also, I, I'm talking about Wickfest and uh, you know advancing women's hockey, and then the campaign that she had to get more PPE equipment to the frontline medical workers. Uh, it just really shows that Haley's committed to using her platform for good and advancing. Uh, people and and helping them out especially in Canada she's a proud Canadian and she gives back to her country it's really awesome to see and to and to listen to but looking at the third period I I just I want to reiterate again to start the period that uh, when you look at Haley and Team Canada their height of their dominance really was that 2010 games they they like we said they not only won but they won big and it wasn't even close Um, sure there were successes afterwards and we're going to talk a little bit about that here but 2010 was really the pinnacle. It was the top of the mountain for sure. Um, but looking at Haley's life after the games, um, you'll pick it up right away in 2010 as you know, no rest for the weary. But she goes ahead and enrolls in University of Calgary later that year and uh, to get her degree in kinesiology. But in typical Haley Wickenheiser fashion, she can't just get her degree. She's got to go ahead and play college hockey while she's at it. So... Um, she does a great job playing for the Dinos, and it's amazing that, of course, uh, you get to have a player like Haley Wickenheiser play for you on your college team, uh, and should be no surprise that she wins the CIS MVP in 2011. So, not enough just to go to school. we got to play co- hockey while we're doing it and uh, be one of the best players in the league. So, um, the in-between years between... 2010 and 2014 the 2014 games in Sochi uh, you see that like I said the Canadians are continuing to dominate um, and uh, it just looks like they're going to go into those games and once again steamroll which they largely do Uh, but before we get into that um, one thing that just sort of is kind of cool to mention is Haley not only uh, goes into those games looking to play more hockey but she's also being sort of um, highlighted as one of the best of Canada. Again, uh, she got to do the Athlete's Oath in 2010, and this time in Sochi, she's the flag bearer for the opening ceremonies. Uh, And it just shows how much the country thinks of her and how much she thinks of her country. Pretty cool. Um, But once again on the ice, it's kind of easy for in 2014 for Team Canada as they blast through the preliminary round once again. Maybe not as strongly as they did in 2010, but very strongly. Uh, they had to play the U.S. in this preliminary round, and that was about their only test, really. But they still won. Going into that gold medal game, though, um, it can be said that, it, once again, the result was the same uh, as the Canadians won 3-2, to two, but this time it was a little bit harder as they actually had to go to overtime to make that decision that deciding uh, goal happened for the Canadians. So uh, as you can see, uh, dominating, but still not quite to that 2010 level. And that's why I think reading about those 2010 Olympics and Haley Wickenheiser and Team Canada, it's just, it's crazy to think how good they were. That was just, it was amazing. So um, especially when you compare it to 2014, which was a good year too. Um, but this this win in uh, Sochi did something really important for Haley as far as her legacy. Uh, so uh, her, along with teammates Jenna Hefford and Catherine Ule, uh, 
they became the only players ever to win four straight gold medals in hockey. The Soviets at their height couldn't even do that. So that should show you something right there. Uh, and it also just cements the legacy of not only Team Canada's women uh, as a woman's team, but as a hockey team overall, man or woman. Uh, and she's basically just the hands-down best woman ever to play the sport to that point. Uh, and really to this point in time. Um, and she continued to play at a high level, but as we all know, time catches up with you and you can't play forever. So at age 39, after about 25 years of playing, she decided to uh, announce her retirement in 2017. Now that's dedication, and it's, it's really love for the game right there if you're going to play that long. Uh, gosh, I can't imagine doing anything for 25 years. Uh, and on top of it, uh, you know, all the sport, you know, has really just benefited from her and her abilities and what she's brought. I mean, do you think women's hockey would be the same in the U.S. or Canada if it wasn't for Haley Wickenheiser? I mean, I honestly can say no, it wouldn't be. And factually, objectively, no, it would not be. That's that's just a fact. So, um, And if that wasn't enough, I mean, on top of all that, the uh, sport really did recognize that properly and bestowed the highest honor on her that a hockey player can receive as she was uh, inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2019. Uh, surprisingly, the seventh woman to be inducted uh, into the Hockey Hall of Fame, and that was in her first year of eligibility. Um, we're going to hear from that hall, bit of that Hall of Fame speech after this to uh, get into the postgame, but I recommend you take a listen to that if you get a chance. It, it's a great story. Uh, Haley does a great job of talking about her past, uh, what it meant uh, to grow up as a little girl and uh, the challenges she had to face and just where she is now in her life and sort of just how it's a great story uh, beginning to end and one that uh, every player, male or female, can, can learn from. So it's easy to simply say that it's because of hockey that she's great. But to me, it's just so much more. She's a motivator, and she truly gives back to her country in the game, as we've talked about already in the episode plenty of times. She helped get PPE, like we said, from pandemic uh, healthcare workers on the front line. Uh, and even as we speak, this weekend, she's wrapping up another Wickfest, where she holds a festival to celebrate the women's game, uh, where they get together, play, talk about the different challenges, uh, and help chart a way forward for the women's game. And she, like I said, she uses her platform for good. It's not just Haley Wickenheiser's uh, multiple gold medal winner. Uh, she's someone who's given back and making sure that the road that she had to travel is not the same road that the girls and women of today have to travel to get to hockey success. I mean, and on top of it, shoot, there's a, she even gave a TED Talk. That's pretty awesome. Um, so... And it's motivating. She's a motivator. It's awesome to listen to her. And if you haven't ever listened to uh, one of Haley's speeches, uh, you definitely need to do that. It's it's pretty cool. And, of course, read the book, and we'll talk more about that here. Um, so it's pretty easy to say that she's inspired men and women in hockey and in life, most of all. And to me, that's where you're, tru you're truly great. You're not just an athlete. You're a truly great person. And if I've learned anything on this uh, journey this week and reading the book, uh, Haley Wickenheiser is truly a great person. We'll get to that a little bit more and wrap things up 
in the post game, which will come up to you after this. I wanted to play the game so bad I didn't care what I had to endure. And looking back as a little girl at that time, it was a lot. I remember one time I went to a hockey school in Regina, Saskatchewan, and I was the only girl at the school, and they let me come to the hockey school, but there was no place for me to sleep because it was just for boys as a boarding school. And, but they did have one little room in the Regina Agrodome, and it was an usher's closet. And they said, if you want to stay here, you can stay, but you'll have to stay in the closet. And so my brother felt sorry for me, and so he and I jammed ourselves into this closet and slept there for a week so I could go to the hockey school. As I got a little older, I played Bantam AAA. I started to be good, and I was taking a spot of another boy, and people didn't really like that too much. And I remember I actually developed an ulcer um, because I wasn't nervous to get hit or to, to go on the ice. That's actually where I, was, I felt good. It was when I had to come to the rink and change in the bathroom and then walk through the lobby of all the parents and the comments and the harassment that I would often hear. But all of those things gave me thick skin and resilience, and they taught me not to listen to the critical opinion of others. And when I joined the national team at 15, I was welcomed and greeted by women who were twice my age and had so much more life experience than I did, and it was an incredible experience for me. I have to thank Hockey Canada. For 23 years, I had a platform. We all had a platform which to rise up and to represent the women's game, to go to the Olympics, and to keep propelling the sport forward. And I never felt once that I went to an Olympics that we didn't have all that we needed to be successful. My life was really shaped by a lot of those women early on. I remember my first roommate, Margot Page, was a grade 10 math teacher, and I was a grade 10 math student. <laughs> feel bad for a 15-year-old roommate, not so much fun for her. Um, but what I learned from those women is they gave up their careers they fought for relevance, and instead of asking what the game could give them, they asked what they could give the game, and they changed my life forever. Uh like I promised you, that was a clip from Haley's induction speech in the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2019. What I really like about that clip is just that story she tells about having to uh, sleep in a <laughs> janitor's closet to play in that hockey camp, but she did it, and... Uh, she was happy to do so. Um, also, just the pressure that she had to go through, um, not because of playing on the ice, like she said, but having to just get dressed and, and get on the ice with those boys and, and have to hear what everybody said about her. Uh, it's just crazy to think. And I hope that what we learn from her story and what we all take uh, is that nothing should be that way for anyone much less little girls who just want to play a sport that they love. Um, and because they're girls, they should be able to play it. I think things are getting better, but still, we've got a long way to go. But we all know that. Uh, getting into the post game though, um, and looking to wrap this thing up with Haley, I just want to say that um, this is a great book and one that you really have to pick up. Um, and why? It's always good to hear the thoughts from the person. And in this case, you're hearing the thoughts from somebody who um, is such a good person, like we've already described, that it just comes through into the pages. I didn't really have, I don't have to meet Haley Wickenheiser now. I, I feel like I know her. And that was what was really cool about this diary, of course. But I'll also say this. When you look at um, 
where we're at and where we need to go, um, Haley's going to be one of those people to help us get there. And that's really kind of the legacy of her playing days is that she is the one that did everything on the ice, but she's continuing to do it off the ice and afterwards to be that ambassador, to be that positive force, to make sure that the road is much better for people ahead. Now, I know we talked about that last week with the uh, U.S. team, um, but when I look at an individual effort, um, I don't think there's one that's stronger than Haley Wickenheiser's in her quest to make women's hockey uh, a, a viable sport to make it something that's celebrated because she's already done so much. And I know there's so much more to be done, but she's going to be there. <laughs> Even though, like we said, she's moving on with her life, becoming a doctor, that doesn't mean that she's uh, given up on it. And like I said, the fact that she's holding Wickfest this summer again, or excuse me, this spring again, this weekend, uh, even though she's got to do it virtually, uh, she's found a way and she continues to find a way to do the right thing. But for me, uh, I also think I'd be remiss if I didn't say, watch the highlights of Haley playing hockey. It's pretty cool. She's a good player. And it just shows you that's these women, these girls, it's awesome to watch them play. They're everybody as good as their male counterparts if you just sit there and watch for a minute. Uh, you know, not everybody's Gretzky. Not everybody's the best in the NHL. I mean, that's the best stage in the entire world. As you continually will find out if you read and follow hockey, the NHL is just one destination where hockey players can go. But that doesn't mean that great hockey isn't being played elsewhere. There's so much great hockey out there, and the women's game is awesome. And probably the best woman player ever to play the game was Haley Wickenheiser. So if you need and want a good look into her life and a snapshot into what was probably the pinnacle of her career, definitely pick up Gold Medal Diary Inside the World's Greatest Sporting Sports Event. By Okay, well, I think that wraps it up for this week. And I just want to start off by saying thank you to everyone out there for listening. If you're a repeat listener, thanks for coming back. And if you're a new listener, I hope you like what you heard this week. And you'll come back again next week uh, for a little bit more. Also, if you've got a couple extra minutes, take some time to uh, give us a subscribe on your favorite podcast type place. And also make sure to give us a rating. Those really do help out, uh, help the show gain some exposure. And I, if you've got a minute, it'd be much appreciated. Uh, and if I could ask for a few more minutes uh, of your time, uh, go ahead and look us up on social media if you haven't already. Uh, the show has uh, pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, where I post some good facts every week about the book that we're reading or the subject of the book. Uh, so I'll make it worth your time, definitely. Uh, so just look us up from the point on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And if you've got some comments, uh, you can go ahead and email the show. Uh, the email for the show is fromthepointpodcast16 at gmail.com. Looking ahead to next week, though, uh, we're going to continue with our celebration of Women's History Month and Pioneers of Women's Hockey. We'll go back to the uh, USA game uh, back south of the border and we're going to highlight uh, two of the uh, recent uh, celebrities of the U.S. game and that's going to be Jocelyn and Monique Lamoureux and their latest book that just came out called Dare to Make History, Chasing a Dream and Fighting for 
equity. Uh, it's a really good book uh, about their journey up, and uh, I'm going to be really excited to talk about it. So hopefully you're looking forward to it just like I am. And with that said, I hope everybody has a great week, enjoys themselves, and I'll see you again next week on From the Point. So till then, stay classy, hockey fan. Thank you.